Hey, welcome everybody to the Low Key Podcast. I'm Tim Malloy here as always with my co-host Aaron Lanton and the mysterious Keith. We're talking this week about his, you know, I never say your last name, but you don't have like a prohibition on using your last name, right? We just don't no. say Keith. No, that's cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> Keith Denny and get to know that name because he's making a movie right now and it sounds great. So Ooh. Keith Denny, yeah. <laughs> We're talking this week about His House, uh, another great film by filmmaker Remy Weeks. This is our second British horror film in three weeks. So we're kind of going down that road. Uh, and this is an immigration drama about a couple from South Sudan who immigrate to Britain where they are placed in government housing, which is not the best. Uh, there's insects, there's trash, and there's ghosts who are haunting them about what happened in their journey from Sudan to Great Britain. Um, you're probably wondering why I'm pronouncing it Sudan. It's because I got to interview Remy Weeks, the director of the film, and I always said Sudan, but after hearing him say Sudan throughout the interview, because he's British, I guess I don't even know how to say it properly. Anyway, what did everybody else think of the movie? First thing I want to mention is um, this movie was uh, a lot funnier than I was expecting it to be in moments which were really strange uh, in contrast to everything else going on. Um, especially like when there's like this surreal, horrific ghost par paranormal stuff going on. And they're asking Bo, Bo, why do you want to leave the house? And he's like, <laughs> he's like not giving straight answers on everything. He's like trying to find any way to talk around it. Um, and then they show up and they had to talk about the ghosts and this and that. And it's it's pretty hilarious. Um, but it I also like wept during this film, which I was not expecting either. Um, it was a little, I mean, like I said, it, it, it took me places I really wasn't expecting it to. And as Keith uh, so eloquently put it, um, when we were discussing uh, hosts, horror is kind of like in this new era where everything isn't just about like the hack and slash it's it's really meant to give a perspective uh in ways that just weren't present in previous eras so um i thought it was a really impressive movie and you know can't really wait to talk to you guys a little more about the nuts and bolts of it <clears throat> also agree with you i think it was a very impressive movie i i remember I think just like what we're talking about, like, you know, horror movies and, and how like they they kind of shifted in a sense to like like what, what we call this um horror renaissance. And then there's also where black horror films playing a part in this, where black horror films to me were always the more comical horror films, like um where we grew up watching Blackula and Tales from the Hood and stuff like that. But even with a movie like Tales from the Hood or, you know, Vampire in Brooklyn, I felt like those were films that had something to say, even amongst all of the, the, the campiness in it. And I feel like this is definitely that movie, but with less of the campy. Um, <laughs> and I, it, made me, it made me think about this um, conversation. I'm sure, Aaron, you've heard this, where people talk about like how, if, you know, if a black person was, if there was a black horror film it wouldn't be that long. Like it would probably only last about five minutes mm -hmm. out that fucking house. But then <laughs> you, put, you put people in a situation where they literally cannot leave the house, where there's a, a horde 10 times worse on the other side if they go back home. 
that's the most interesting thing about his house to me. Agreed. Tim, yeah, yeah, I would say before we get a little deeper into what that means, I I thought that was a very interesting way to to place. I mean, that's one of the funny things about it is like placing black people in the place was like, oh, shit, we'd be gone, but oh, actually, we can't leave. Right. That situation. Um, Yeah, but but Tim, what what did you think of um, of the film? I thought it was really, really good. And it would have been a good immigration movie if they just, like there's a movie called El Norte about these people who come up from Mexico to the United States and the great movies, probably like 30, 40 years old almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shows the journey of immigrants. And this movie does that, but then it has this kind of added incentives to watch of the ghost story that's so universal. So it's kind of one of those have it both ways movies where it works as a serious movie, but it also works as a fun movie. Um, it did, I don't know if fun is there, but it has like a lot of thrills and it has a lot of humor. Uh, and you mm-hmm. really care about these people. They're not just like, you know, when people do move into a house and you don't respect them because like you said, why don't they just leave? Like mm-hmm. these people are dummies. I can't, <laughs> I can't sympathize with them that much because I wouldn't stay in that house. Um, that's not the case here. Like and they're incredible. Yeah, these people are made of much tougher stuff. They've been through things that are so much more. Um, also, they understand the mythology, right? Yes. Yeah, there's so, nobody having to come explain it to them. Right. And I think that's another thing that's interesting about that when you're thinking about like African culture in comparison to like being, you know, African people put in a horror type situation and, and how they take it on. Whereas like, you know, in more you say like more western cultures how their characters will respond to this particular um you know horrific monster or ghost or whatever these are people who have heard these stories and they know what this is you know Mm -hmm. same way as like when we have um the 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 man the husband how he sits down and Uh, what's his name again bo bowl b-o-l okay Mm b-o-l Um, how he sits down and he calls upon the um this this spirit. Yeah, it doesn't take any like conjuring or like specific mystic words and stuff. Yeah. Right. So it says something about how how the people are connected more to that that spiritual element and 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 knowing like pretty much that the consequences of their past action is what is causing this thing to happen here. It's no if ands or buts about it. Trying to figure that out, you know. That's yeah. a really cool observation because most horror films, one way or another, something's happening to the character and they didn't know something about whatever. In this case, right. they conjured the spirit with their particular actions. Um, now, yeah, definitely going to get into like, you know, what that means and, and how that happened in a little bit here. But I, I think that's actually a really great observation you just made there. Um, something I hadn't thought about um, prior to just now. I mean, we've talked about characters who have survivor's guilt, and these characters have the most acute survivor's guilt of any characters we've ever met. I mean, they actually survived this crossing. They survived the genocide. And I mean, it sounds corny to say, but they're literally haunted. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's the thing that's really interesting about this film. Um so the woman's name is is escaping me at the moment. Um, uh, the the wife in in the uh, of the couple. Okay, 
Yes. And at this point, this is like, you know, her podcast because we just did Lovecraft Country and she's uh, Ruby in that, uh, excuse me, in that TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for I thought she did excellent. I mean, just amazing job in, in this film. But I thought it was really interesting how, like, if you notice, at no point in this entire film is she, like, she's horrified of, about things they went through and, you know, maybe even of some of the things that she's had to do and, and, and sacrifice to get there, but she's not afraid of the ghost. She's like, I mean, what have they been telling you? They've been talking to me. They've been telling you anything. They've been <laughs> telling me you full of shit. I mean, I know that wasn't really, it, it was, it was spooky in, in one instance, but also it made me laugh. Cause it was like the ghost is just sitting there, like just just giving her the business, telling her what's going on, and you know, she's just like, I mean, they ain't trying to murder me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what, what what did you bring to us? You know, wow. Uh, oh, that was kind of a trippy. Well, when Bull realizes that the ghost can't actually touch him, that's another good moment. Oh, by the way, we're spoiling this movie all over the place if you haven't picked up on that yeah yeah definitely throw that in um in our intro uh so we're not uh <laughs> kind of ruining things for everybody <laughs> consider this the intro <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's 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 really um it's done with a lot of care i, I, I thought it's just little subtle things about when they choose to show us certain things um that are really really uh cool yeah, and I thought it was darkly funny when all of the British government people come and talk to them. And then the stuff that they tell them would like, well, there's giant rats, uh, there's, there's a witch, there's all this stuff. And it's just, you see the British people going like, oh my gosh, these people are so primitive. Like, of course, they believe all this nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there's actually a fucking witch. Oh, and oh, the, no... The- well, I was gonna say the other thing that had me laughing was when um he gets he gets so scared he runs out the house, Bold does, and then he looks up and and his neighbor's like, the fuck is he doing? He looks up, smiles, trying to play it off. <laughs> it's got like these really just random moments where it's it's like I said, it's just funny. And you're like, but then he's like, I shit, I'm going back in the house because I mean, if I don't, we going back to the real horror. Right. And you know what I was thinking too? I was, I don't, and I, I don't know. This just, this just my my theory about the film is: what if the the ghost or the witch actually does not exist? I so yeah, I actually was literally about to bring this up, but uh, but say more about you know what you're thinking there. I mean, there's there's a couple of instances where I was just feeling like it could it could just be more of a manifestation of post traumatic stress syndrome, mm-hmm. and and like you see even in the beginning with um bold where he um he was definitely like hearing stuff but not necessarily the witch until like later on and then it just kind of gradually like it, it started with with the little voices he was hearing in his head that were um parallel to what happened um during the genocide yeah, before you even see anything yeah before we see anything and then it just gradually started to be things that we see but there are always things that are of course connected to them you know and another thing too about ghost stories that that i that is usually a thing is that the the thing that's haunting you is 
it's connected to a particular place. Yeah. But with this, it feels like no matter where they was going to be, this this thing most likely was going to be there. Yeah, it's right? not even about the house. Yeah, it's not about the house, but it makes you think that it's about the house. And the re- yeah. another reason why I know it's not about the house is because the 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 thing knows too much about them, if that makes sense. And, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of goes against every like ghost story I've ever seen in my life. Normally a ghost or a demon knows about the people that's in the house based off what they already know about the history of the house, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, like Lovecraft Country. What you were gonna say? Like Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Where the ghost doesn't care who you are and just get out of my house. Right. And, and in this case, and, and, he's, and, that's and in this case, he's saying get out. The, the flip of that, Tim, uh, to your point, is he's mm-hmm. yelling at the ghost to get out of my house. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all in his head. You know, well, yeah, whether I think, it, you know, you can make arguments either way. But the more the deeper we got into the film the more it felt like that specifically like when you had these moments where uh, he's, you know, in, in whatever sort of way, whether it's metaphysical, again, like in his head, he's being transported back to the sea and, and witnessing again, the, the people who weren't able to make it, that sort of survival's guilt is present, but it feels like there's more there. And then you learn a little more about, you know, additional parts of their trauma that they are specifically personally responsible for right this would be a good time to roll some roll some audio from my interview with uh remy weeks the director of the movie if you want to hear this entire interview it's on movie maker interviews available wherever you're listening to this um we're asked him just what exactly happened in south sudan when they're getting on the bus uh trying to escape here's what he said I think ambiguity is good. I think when you're in places of conflict, I don't think it's easy to get, like, find a clear, satisfying um, answer for uh, these things. Mm-hmm. I think what we tried to show was a, a very messy situation that often happens when, when you're reading about people migrating from war-torn countries that people often find themselves losing family members and find themselves finding themselves split up from each other and having to make sacrifices to get to a new, uh, to get to a place of safety. There was sto- there's been stories of people um, losing children or having to give their children to other people to get them out of a, a, a situation. And- and so what was your impression when you first watched the film and before you got a chance to, to ask uh, Remy, you know, uh, like, what did you think happened on the bus there? I, I did think Bolin, a very tense moment, took a child who wasn't his child and used that child to get on the bus. Um, and his motivations were mixed because he wanted to help the child get on the bus, of course, but he also wanted to get on the bus because that meant escaping from a genocide, which, you know, we all want to think we wouldn't do that, but we might. I feel like this is like the Mookie question at the end of do the right thing. You know, like why did he throw the trash can through the pizzeria? You know, and it's like, there's no specific answer that the film gives. Um, 
and any answer that you have is a little mix as far as like you know whether you think it's a good or a bad thing that that it happened but my instinct in reading the film is that based on what happens later and and kind of the desire to forget shows us that bowl was not thinking in a utilitarian way when he took the child onto the bus no Hmm. specifically when you're thinking about the the two specific things later one the situation with um the passage by sea and then also the fact that no matter what he wanted to get rid of that doll and the trinket um that, that was taken from it yeah yeah it's it's weird for me i know that the what happens on the boat isn't up to them in any way but i feel like that's almost worse like letting the child die after you've taken this child from from the child's mother i was definitely it, worse. yeah but but i see and the thing is i do th- so i think it like i said it was more selfish than it was uh meant to be good for the child although i think it helps right your, your guilt around that Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that's such a much more difficult moment. He grabs a child seeing like I even think if the, if the people were coming there on those trucks with the guns shooting up people on the way there might not even done it. Right. But when you're in that situation at sea, it's like it's not like you're sitting there. I mean, like, cause remember, there's a storm going on. The yeah. boat stopped working. Maybe he ain't a great swimmer, because even if you're a great swimmer with, with the sea. I don't know if you guys have been in an ocean like that. It's not like you really got full control over what's going on when you're when you're out there. And he holds his wife and says, "Look, I got to make sure you make it. You, know, you and I have to make it." And I do remember being on a boat like that once and just laughing because I was like, "We're probably all gonna die." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it's treacherous. And and if the sea decided to take you and you ain't got no help, I mean, it is what it is at that point. Um. I don't know, Keith. What did you think of it? We, you know, Tim and I've been doing a bunch of talking on this. What, what were your thoughts there? I'm trying to see how I can verbalize it. I think that he definitely did it to save himself, but I think it's kind of one of those things where, like, your your primal instinct, I feel, kick in when your life is on the line, and not only that your life is on the line, but you'll possibly never see your wife again. You know, mm-hmm. and I feel like he made that decision to be with her and that they both survive. Just like you said, when she, when he was on the boat, he said, I gotta make sure that you make it, you know, cause you're, you're my wife and I'm, I'm not married to anything, but I feel that you're, you know, out of anybody that you had to protect in your, your life, your wife is that person, you know, that you, and especially if it's just you and her, you know? And I think that yeah. like, we want to, be heroes in our minds but when you're in that situation you never know what you'll do to survive yeah and then on top of that it's i'm I'm trying to say this in the best way possible but i think how a human being is is that you're going to look after yours first like we're, we're innately pretty selfish in a way right like so like you might look after your own people if you can but if you can't save your own people, then you save your family. If you can't save your family, then you have to try to save self. Mm-hmm. So there's this 
Yeah. yeah. There's this thing in anthropology. I took a, my first anthropology class. That this is the main thing that stuck with me. It's me against my brother, me and my brother against my cousin, me and my brother and my cousin against the world. Mm-hmm. So it just keeps branching out. Like the sort of circle of empathy just keeps getting a little bit wider, but it doesn't get that wide. No. And it's it's universal across all cultures. It's there's no there's no perfect you know socialist utilitarian utopian society where people don't put their wife or their brother or their child above everybody else. We just automatically do that. It's just wow. how we are. Well, and and you know, it it there's two things that really stuck out, and I think are what caused the the APEF to show up. Um, and, and it happened in that moment. The first is that, you know, the the women, women are like really key figures in this film. They they don't always say a ton, but when the child, uh, I think it's uh, Nijak, um, is calling out for mama, 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 and that woman looks at, at, at her, she's like, you know, good and damn well, that ain't your child. Mm. You got on this bus. And, you know, and, and that, you know, I knew something was up when she was being greeted by all those women. When she tried to get out the window, I'm like, why is she being haunted? Wait a minute, what's this? And uh, I was like, oh, no. Mm-mm. See, see, she she knew a little something, too. And then the second part, just seeing the mother calling out to her child and, you know, just like the terror of what's happening. Like, you know, the, the militia is showing up and she's running. She's keeping up with the bus for a moment trying yeah. to get to her child and it's, it's just heart-wrenching and you know it, to some degree you know i i mean it's weird because like these aren't that's not a fantasy you know or just oh. a horror thing like that's happening and yeah, that's agonizing yeah and when people seek asylum um you hear all sorts of stories um that are just really hard to read through and, and you're like, damn, like, why would people make this sort of decision? Or like the the callousness in 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 the kind of innate, um, you know, uh, situation of the current U.S. administration's policy towards immigration. You know, we hear our president talk about people are bringing people over through coyotes, talking about like you know drug situations and things like that. And we use these peoples or whatever. Yeah, but when you hear about like the sort of trek these people take to make it up here, it's, it's horrendous. Unfucking believable to think of one. I, one thing I appreciate about this movie is that it really did drive home like the pain of one family getting separated and to lose your child and not know if you're ever going to see them again, or to lose your parents and not know if you're ever going to see them again. And then that that's happened more than 500 times in this country and it's still going on. Well, in, in more than 500 and, and, times. And, and it's an official policy. Like the New York Times yeah. had a good story about how it's the actual Trump administration policy. And they actually said to people at the border, we need to separate some families like to send a message. Um, and to purposely lose them. I don't, I don't know if the purposeful losing them was the intent, but it's definitely neglect at best. I mean, it's it's horrendous. It's well, they separated families when they got to the border. They put them in not just like separate um, areas within a building, not just like separate, 
you know, buildings within a city, they put them in like totally different places in, of the country. Yeah. Which of course would make it more difficult. I mean, you know, then you got to do all the, you know, tracing back and this and that, but they were deporting parents and keeping the kids here. So yes. what I mean, so that to, to me is like this whole other thing. It kind of, it was weird because that didn't even come up in, in any of the debate situations or the town halls, whatever you call those things they did in the middle. Um, immigration never came up until uh, the last debate. And that is crazy to me, but not to go too far, much further than the U.S. politics, but this movie made me think a little bit more about, uh, you know, people I've met who have um, one way or another immigrated here uh, and just what they went, what they went through. And actually, you know, when I was in, you know, living in New York City, I've met a lot of people who were uh, from places all around the world who, you know, talked about how they were escaping situations. And, you know, I didn't want to delve too deep because, you know, you clearly for some of them those journeys were painful uh and and to see that this is one instance of what that looks like um you know to know that sometimes you have to make there's just no good choice um and that a lot that they're one wave hitting them in the face from not making it to a boat and then that being it you know it's like the transatlantic passage but like in a in a you know different sort of dire way I, I like any i like any movie that makes people really feel this on an emotional level because it, it does become about numbers and it does become about in some ways it becomes like this twitter um way of scoring points like you know you're a baby snatcher or something and it minimizes or flattens out how awful that is but it's i mean i went to high school in a you know, pretty largely Hispanic Latino area where it was probably like about 40%. And a large number of my friends had parents who came over illegally. And I don't know, there's something about just like seeing this is, this is just, this is so widespread and we have such a total lack of compassion for these people as a country who I wish everybody could go to high school with them because just people it's just other human beings and we treat them like shit well and the other thing too is keeping in mind that in general for all kind of reasons around the, the world um even if we're just talking climate change um you know we're gonna have places where where people where, where they have been settled and and you know been fine uh, nature is going to force them from their homes and like how do we deal with that you know and, and you know how do we provide compassion and, and you know in in as those things happen like you know one do we take care of earth more to be a great idea too but also like how do we care for for others who you know like how do we change our value systems and how we look at others so that we're not finding ways to to just put folks in circumstances like that. I mean, because for the most part, this does seem like he said a something that that's torturing them and, and is like of their own creation. But it, on the other hand, one thing that was really interesting was like this this more micro thing about assimilation. So yeah. Bowl talked a lot about having worked at a bank. This was very important to him. 
Um, yeah. You know, they both can speak English uh, pretty well. And clearly both had had some sort of, uh, uh, you know, interaction with people who were British. He, he knew some of the customs, some of the songs and, you know, but it, it was kind of horrific, too, uh, to see, you know, and Keith, I don't know how you felt about this when it happened, but it was just like Bowl goes into like that department store and he keeps looking back at the uh, at the posters and stuff, trying to match himself up with the white guy on the wall. And there's also like the thing where like uh, the doll uh, that that uh, the little girl had, uh, Nijak, she uh, it, it was a white doll with blue eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much going on with this movie. I haven't had a chance to like really, you know, totally grasp what that means yet. But there was some visceral for me as a black person watching that. Um, that just is reminiscent of so many things in the past and, and just even hell, a lot of people look at and compare themselves today uh, to so many different things. It was one of the things that actually that sort of issue of colorism that I was kind of shocked that Lovecraft Country never brought up because it's right there in your face um, between Letty and Ruby. But yeah, I don't know. There, there's just a lot there that that if you peel back, I'm sure there's, there's just so much more to even learn from this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That made me think about how important representation is. Um, because it's. I was thinking the other day. I was watching um the animated series I told you about on um, Kipo and the uh, Wondrous Beast or something on yeah. Netflix. You remember we were talking about that, mm-hmm. and um they have, you know, they have a lot of black characters in their show or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like. I, I was I was thinking as I was watching it how it would been it would have been something to to grow up watching shows like this or to grow up in the age where like Black Panther existed and stuff like that. And I think I, I can't speak for Africans and you know that that like for example Africans that that came here and that they're in the United States or whatever now. But it, it seems like some people that I've known, they they had a certain, um, that's African, a certain outlook in how they view um, African-Americans or Black Americans or whatever you want to call it. And it's all based off what they've seen on TV. Yeah. Anyway, it's like how they, how they view white people, you know, is based off what they've seen in the media. Um and so, and so I've known African people that have done that, like try to the same way as black people do it, like try to assimilate more into um, white or European culture. Now, we, let's be clear, too, though, because everything you said 100 uh, percent, you know, on point, uh, that sort of dichotomy happens with African-Americans. Well, let's, let's put it to be more clear, black Americans, black people who were born in the United States mm-hmm. um, and grew up here. Um, that sort of thing happens with you know everything from how you speak Mm -hmm. um like you know when Keith and I both at different points have worked in in the same spot and you know there's even moments when people look at the way we speak uh the sort of inflections that we use in our voice um how deep it is like they expect us to like kind of talk a little more I don't know different (laughs) like (laughs) certain ways um there is um also, I man, I can't tell you how many times in New York, uh, which I, I will continue to say is definitely one of the most racist places I've been in my entire damn life. Um, 
maybe the most racist. Um, how many times white people in New York told me I was one of the good ones? What? Yeah. Yeah, like before de Blasio became <laughs> this was like mayor, four years ago. Yeah, before de Blasio became mayor, um, you know, this guy was talking about how when Giuliani had, had become mayor, and it's oh my god, like in, in this great in retrospect, right? But anything that, going uh, on with Giuliani? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. nothing. <laughs> um, but how he had cleaned up the city and and you know, uh with all these different policies and de Blasio bring it back to the 80s when everything was terrible and crime was everywhere. He's like, but you're one of the good ones. I mean, you'll you'll be fine. You know, da, da, da. And this is before like a a show off Broadway that Sarah was working on. Um, this guy was all polished. And the thing was, like, I had like like a certain sort of sweater and and like a leather coat. So dude was like, you know. I guess feeling a little comfortable with me. I had my briefcase on, you know, so on and so forth. And so he just, you know, like, oh, this guy's in corporate America. He'll get it. Like, he's one of the good ones. Like, you know, da, da, da. I'm like, dude, you don't know, you know where I came from, man. Right. Like, like that shit sound crazy as hell to me. Uh, but I mean, but people talk like that all the time around black people and they don't realize, I mean, like just black Americans. I mean, that stuff is kind of a little traumatizing. You got to learn how to deal with it. But it's different watching in this film because it's it's a you know you have to smile at every like okay even at that guy i could have told him to fuck off and like it wouldn't have been a big deal they can't do that right no yes. you know and when and they're literally told to be one of the good ones but then again he actually likes that too like she said you know you, you know these men are pitiful and yet like you still admire them you still want shit from them I, you know i think too like uh, I, I don't know. I, I would say that in a way, assimilation could be like a form of surviving. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how I get, like how, you know, certain animals can be able to camouflage into their environment um, because then it makes you, for one, based off whoever looking at you, um, they might view you as being um, less threatening. Um maybe you know someone that could probably be you know controlled a little bit more and that's gonna be able to to play nice in a sense i guess um because you know for the longest you know there was always this big thing about you know having natural hair for example in the workplace so even if your hair was kept up and even if it was nice there was always a thing about that being unprofessional right i think part of it was because of the connection to you know culture um yeah, people told me I had to cut my hair. You say what? People told me I had to cut my hair when I was in New York. Like it was too right. big. Yeah. And 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 because the the cutting of the hair is more of a sign of assimilating to white white society, I feel. It's weird too. Um I know I keep bringing up Lovecraft country. It's just cuz it's so recent and cuz uh, uh uh one of me is in it also. But when she played Ruby, she was actually the opposite character. Exactly. complete opposite, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, not 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 at me. It, it, at first, it wasn't just about her like sucking up the white people because that's not how really how she viewed the world. But she talked about it as like being able. Oh, okay. We're not gonna ruin. We're not gonna spoil Lovecraft Country on this podcast. But there are things that she, uh, through that character, is able to ex- it, it, you know do that allows her to have a sort of freedom uh, from a racial perspective um that are like indirect like foil that would act as a direct foil to what we see in this film and you know i think that's just really um watching these things in conjunction if there's ever an opportunity for as an audience member listen to this podcast to do that i think it'd be really cool to do that because there's some 
really interesting uh, crossover for the things, but they uh, approach them very differently, but in ways that I think are very informative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did you guys uh, overall just think of, of the, the ghosts? Like, you know, in, in, the, in the witch, uh, once the, the witch shows up, um, w- were you expecting that ending? Because I thought she was going to stab him. Uh, well, but in my six him, I mean her husband. I thought she was gonna stab Bowl, but I, you know that that um, he decided uh, to stop. You know, taking to just be able to face what he did, and be willing to say, you know what, okay, I I, I have to I have to let it take me, um, because yeah. I. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was just interesting. I love the ending. I thought it went in a very different way than I thought it was going to go. I thought it was going to go in a very cynical way. Mm-hmm. And it, it ended just beautifully, whether you interpret it as this was all in their heads or there's a literal ghost. I keep saying literal because I've been in Boston too long and everybody here says literal for some reason. <laughs> um, so now I'm blaming the whole city. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was just a gorgeous way to end it. And it was really universal. I mean, the way that you do take all those people with you wherever you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was also beautiful because what I got from it was, I, I don't, not to sound corny, but it's just something about this, this, this thing of a, a man and a woman sticking together through, I guess you could say they're demons in a way. Right. Because, because what, what, what it was selling us on, what the I guess, what would you call this, like a red herring, was that the demon was gonna convince her to kill her husband, or allow, or or the, or allow the you know the witch to just do it or whatever. But she comes and she slits the the witch's throat and she saves him, you know. And at the end, they're together and they're standing there amongst all these other spirits that um that either you know or immigrants that were left behind or didn't make it. And they're facing that together, mm-hmm. you know. And, and she I also says, this is our power. house at the end. Right. And there's something very before. powerful about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... Uh... Another thing I just yeah. really loved about this movie is the way that the immigrants were just people. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't there are these evil people coming here to steal your jobs, <laughs> which is the one. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like there are these saintly innocent victims who, um, you know, are just have no agency and have no control over themselves and are just like at the mercy of us, the benevolent white people. It wasn't like that either. It was like these are fully formed people who made the decisions they made. And like all of us do some things we're proud of and some things we're not proud of and deal with the consequences and yeah. it made decisions in extreme circumstances yeah. and it's like what 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 kind of i don't know it's like i feel that white people can empathize with certain things but then for some reason not with other things when it comes to like people of color you know like for some reason there's this thing where there's a lot of sympathy and a lot of like really weird desire to compare the civil rights movement and what that specifically was about to gay rights 
It's like those are or, two, or any number of other. I mean, when you saw people who were like comparing masks in the civil rights movement, Jesus Christ, I, w- I oh, mean, that made me so upset. Or the lady, did you see the interview where she was like, I mean, I can't breathe, and no one's listening to me. But when George Floyd said he couldn't breathe, I was like, I almost flipped my damn table. Oh my god, if you don't calm the fuck down, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. There's so much. I mean, there's like a good version of it. There's like the beer ad where the Irish bartender hires an immigrant from, I think, Colombia because he remembers when like the Irish were the Colombians, you know, where it was like we were the ones who weren't welcome in this country. So now I'm going to like lower the ladder. Lowering makes it sound bad, but like now I'm going to. No, no, no. You're, you're handing it over to, to, to the next someone one to, allow them, yeah, someone, yeah, someone to allow them to climb up. But then the bad version of that is when you're like, well, my people fucking did this. Why can't you do it? You know, just the same. And it's like, well, because they're actually not similar situations and <laughs> in many, many ways. I mean, you didn't come here. Your ancestors weren't slaves. Um, you didn't have to come here with nothing because there was a war going on in your country. In most cases, I mean, my best friend is from El Salvador. Like they fled a civil war they fled a civil war when he was a baby. I mean, it's just, there's nothing, there are a few things in the world comparable to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, I can't imagine, because so, you know, I have a toddler now, you have a, you have a very young child and you know, I have a, a new child coming into the world soon. And I mean, I, just, I can't even imagine, man. Um, I cannot imagine having to do that. I mean, I'd I do it, you know, but but shit, that's crazy. Every parent who's like, every American parent who's like, they should follow the laws and not cross the border and da 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 da. It's like, if your kid was hungry and you couldn't feed them and you wouldn't cross over to Canada to feed your kid, you're a fucking terrible parent. Yeah. And if you can't feed your child or clothe them or bathe them and stuff like that because of things that are just completely out of your control because everything's in chaos. Not because you don't have a skill set, not because you're not willing to grind, not because you don't love them, something like that. I mean, there's just such a lack of empathy that it, it kind of blows the mind. Any one of us would, I hope, would do what they're doing for their kids when you cross over to another country. Like, this goes back to, you know, me and my brother against my cousin, me and my brother and my cousin against the world. It goes back to that whole protecting your family first thing. You've got to put your family's survival ahead of like a border and i'm not saying tear down the borders or whatever but i am saying that we could have a little more compassion and empathy for people who who come to another country because that's what they did to be their kids yeah and it it, it just makes me wonder about like the villain of this film um for me the villain of the film because like you know to some degree y'all need some sort of antagonist but really the antagonist to some degree is just the chaos of of you know of war um and and the the situations it it places people into like you have to make just no win decisions um and that is uh like when when you know they're they're in that i guess it was a school or something like they're going through the whole process of again of having to to immigrate and to see um all those women who have been massacred you know on the ground 
and then having to relive the shelling, um, you know, that's going on and just the chaos of night and just not being able to, I mean, just, just literally, they're not even like saying anything to each other. They're just like blankly walking through it again. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just some really impactful, simple things done from a directorial standpoint that I just thought were really cool. Um, sometimes, you know, saying nothing is saying a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I thought this this movie did a great job with sound uh, when it chose to do that. Um, and and just, uh, just certain perspectives it chose, like when there's like the holes in the wall and shooting it that way. And then showing it from for the audience, like you, you can see in the background lights cutting up. It's just like real simple stuff that yeah. brings tension and and gives a sense of, of of dread. And once you know in totality what all is happening, um, you know, I think it makes it even that much more powerful. And I, I really, really, really love the scenes like when they're in the sea. I thought those were really cool. Um, and the most surprising one for me, the most impactful one for me is when they're sitting there trying to eat dinner. And and Bowl ends up there alone, eating. Yeah. And then he ends up at sea, like he's just doing everything he can to like act like nothing's going on, nothing's weird, you know. And um, I mean, clearly, there's just a lot unspoken. But I think one thing this movie did solidify for me, and I, and I, I honestly, I don't have some some grand sociological statement on this. It's just something that I'm thinking through. And Keith, I know you. And I have talked about this a lot, specifically talking about Memphis, but how black Americans who grow up here, we do not have like real solidarity with one another on many different things. And it really helps put in perspective why many people who have these migration um, uh, experiences, why they are so tight knit, why they do Tim to your point, like really empathize with one another and try to work with one another. Like, like there, there's a certain empathy. They all have one another. Like they're not like, you know what? I got mine. Why can't you get it? Like they're always trying to help each other. Uh, and, That's a and, good point. Yeah. That's a um, really good point. Yeah, that's true. That's true to a point, though, because you do got like, like, let's say if we talking about Africans, like you from a different tribe and stuff. They might oh, not. Well, yeah, I mean, well, there's that. So, so like, it's all because <laughs> that's what this movie is about: is tribal, tribal feuding. Yeah, right, so. right. And that, and that's that's one of the biggest things that it's like it's almost like human beings just want to create divisions amongst each other. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, I think that's a basic tenet of this film too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and where we're all really together, are supposed to be stewards of this world, and we're supposed to, you know, take care of each other, take care of the environment. I mean, I might sound like a hippie saying this shit. Take care of the environment. Take care of the animals and shit. And and like we're doing a piss poor job at it. Like I think a, a lot of you know these atrocities that happen. You know, it's one thing to to have you know to engage in warfare. It's another thing to engage in complete genocide. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I and I think that it's it's a shame and it's disgusting that we still live in a world where there are a whole there there's a group of people trying to wipe out another group of people, yeah. like in our lifetime. There's not and 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 if you, I mean, if you just know just what little that you know, you'll think the last genocide that ever happened was during the the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're there, there's a Holocaust is happening right now. There's something going on in Congo right now. I don't, I don't know the explicit details. I learned about it because of the SARS movement going on in Nigeria. Right. Uh, people were were speaking to to some going on there at the moment. And you know, actually, you saying all of it about tribalism, you know, kind of brought to mind for me one of the most hurtful moments of the movie where, you know, we see the black British, uh, excuse me, black British tribe. Mm-hmm. Being like, oh, we're British. You need to speak, you know, English. Da da da, and talking yeah. a bunch of shit to her, and purposely misguiding her as far as like where that that hospital was. It um, broke my heart, man. Because she said, oh, I see some some black people. Thank goodness, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's just no solace there either. Um, and that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It 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 did. I mean, I, that's something I had, I've seen before in in person, mm-hmm. but again in the context of, of that journey to, to see that you don't have um, anybody you, you can um, look at and be like, Hey, this person will at least give me some uh, iota of, of respect and dignity uh, for that not to be present. There was, was really hurtful, which is why I think she was just so blunt when she was speaking to the white uh, nurse or doctor, whichever she happened to be um, at the hospital. Um, you know, she didn't have anybody to say anything out loud to. I think she just kind of let some of that frustration out, you know, right there in that moment. Right. The thing I find myself struggling with a lot, especially as an election approaches and as we think that about half the country, or as I think about half the country is doing a very bad job of doing all the stuff Keith talked about with being storage of each other and taking mm. care of the planet and everything else is like, how do I not other them? Like, how do I not treat them as not human or beneath me in terms of morality or something? Like, how can I find common ground with them? And so my, I'm trying to, this might sound wrong to some people, but I'm really trying to think like, how can I find some commonality and find some, something to rally around with people who I strongly disagree with? Well, we talked about this with 1BR, this idea of like when other people are behaving in ways that you feel like are detrimental to society, like how do you, I mean, like, I'm like, I'm trying to find the words now because what, what should you do with them is not really what I mean. That sounds a little way, way too crass. Yeah. It's just more yeah, like, I mean. it's like, how do you just, how do you function alongside them while disagreeing with them? And, and how do you find, you know what, maybe, maybe this, how do you find common values there? Right. Um, yes yes so that everybody is thinking of each other's best interests realizing that if we you know do things from a behavior standpoint that all act in each other's interests that we all will benefit um how how do you do that and this is something we've definitely struggled with uh, of late um you know I, i definitely this film, when I got through with it, you know, I close it and then, you know, you open up the news and it's like, we have set a record number of cases for COVID, you know, and like I went to the store today and I couldn't believe how many people were walking around. So there's a mask mandate here um, in in the county I live in, but people will walk around in stores and not have masks on their children. And I don't get it. I don't get it. And, and, People really are like clamoring to keep schools open. And, you know, everybody knows that people are violating mass policies and this and that because they're not. 
uh, encouraging their kids and like passing that value to them to care for others. It's like, it's one thing to be like, I'm uncomfortable with this and that, but like, it's also about protecting others. If you happen to be asymptomatic and passing something along, yeah. um, it's not just about you. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things to kind of take in consideration with it because I feel like it's common sense to just wear, just wear the fucking mask, you know, stay six feet apart, you know, um, try to do it as much as possible. I think it's, you know, it's common sense. Nor do I, I also don't think it's that hard of a thing to do, right? But I, I guess I can kind of understand, um, it's kind of like one of those things that people just don't like being told what to do. Just like I always compare it to, at one point, people didn't have to wear seatbelts in their cars. And people didn't wear seatbelts, even though people were getting their accidents and flying out the fucking window shield. They still didn't wear seatbelts. And then once people were, it was made by law that you have to wear seatbelts, people still didn't wear seatbelts. So then they made cars that make the little irritating beeping ass noise till you put your seatbelt on. So I think it, the simple thing that it comes down to is that humans at their core do not like people telling them what to do. It, yeah. it could be it could be something very simple. They just do not like, and they feel in their mind that they're being some type of rebel. They're bucking some type of a system, and then if they don't feel that way, they're not looking at what you just said about the asymptomatic thing. They just like I'm healthy. I'm not afraid of getting sick. If I get sick, fine. If I die from it, fine. That means I was supposed to die. That's some people's life. Well, yeah, that's yeah, and, that's and they, true. And also, yeah. most people do not understand the concept that you could have a disease without having symptoms of the disease and pass that disease to somebody. If they understood that so many people wouldn't have herpes. Damn. That's you know? not where I thought you were going, but yeah, well, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I, I meant that you, you took it from COVID to something that, that, that it actually happens a lot to people just not noticing. But yeah, the reason, the reason why yeah. I, I can deal with people is that I came to the conclusion that the majority of people are stupid. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. I almost <laughs> they, they literally, that's. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, what were you gonna say? I, I say something. I, I couldn't figure out how to get this out on Twitter today. Cause I had this like, for me, big revelation, which is so much of Twitter is somebody will go like, oh my God, the conservatives who are citing such and such song or such and such movie don't understand that song or that movie. Like they don't get it, ha ha ha. And it's just, you never, liberals keep having this exchange on the internet of like making fun of how dumb conservatives are. And it's just, no one has ever won an argument by telling the other side that they're just stupid. Right. Like, and so how do I convince people, hey, you should wear a mask or you should just stay indoors for, we should all get together and just block down for three weeks and put, knock this thing out or you know, QAnon is fake or whatever else I'm trying, I feel so strongly is true without sounding like a condescending dick about it. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I think, I, it, I think it just takes time. And I think the first part though, is people realizing that when you're speaking to them, that even if it's something that they don't like, it's not meant to insult. That's a really hard thing to do in the end to, to get to. Um, and you know, unfortunately, I, I wish I knew a little bit more about um, the situation in, in Sudan and what's causing that strife. I mean, these 
fights, as far as I know, aren't like recent. They've been going on for generations. And so, you know, there's so many different versions of, of stories like this. And I mean, it, it's it's definitely not, um, I, I just, I don't, and I, I just don't know enough about the world to speak to how people get to the point where that sort of internal fighting uh, among each other is just not a constant thing. Like how how we ever reach moments of peace is anybody's guess, right? Right. Um, it takes a lot of strong leadership. I think to get um, to that point. I think another thing now to add to my point about the stupid thing, I wasn't saying mm-hmm. like conservatives are stupid or liberals. Oh, I'm just saying, like across the board, human beings are stupid. That's why. That's why we can't get along. That's why we fight wars. I feel like more than stupid. I think we're selfish. Yeah, but it's is we are very very selfish. Don't get me wrong. But a big part of that selfish come from our. Let me maybe stupid isn't the word. Maybe that's just so simple. Maybe just ignorant. Like, but but making the decision to be ignorant. Yeah, but see, there's a there's a thing about being willing to admit that you're wrong about something is an important part of of you know maturing as a person. Yeah, and this is the thing too, is that like only history gonna determine who's wrong and who's right at the end of the day. Like, let's talk about like this COVID thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is a part of history. So let's say like 50 years from now, we'll see where we at and they're going to talk about it in the history books and they're going to talk about how people had to wear masks. And there were some people that said, no, I'm not going to wear a fucking mask. And, you know, possibly nothing bad happened from it and possibly a whole bunch of people got sick and died. But at the end of the day, somebody, somebody right and somebody wrong. But you know, one thing that's interesting about you bringing that up, do y'all know, like in general, if we're talking about like, you know, if you're looking at like hot spots, you know, one place that never became a real hot spot at any point outside of New Zealand. What was that? The continent of Africa. And I remember reading something from the BBC, uh, and it was basically like, why don't the African nations have an outbreak of COVID? Could it be because they're too poor and ignorant to get it? I'm like, what the fuck is that? What is this? What is this? <laughs> like, I, I, if I could find that article again, I had to send it because I couldn't believe the shit I was reading. It's like people in the West just they were like, "There's got to be a fucking reason," and it's like I don't know. Maybe they fucking wear masks and maybe they wash their hands a little more. I don't know. It could be a lot of fucking reasons why, but like it just went down to like the lowest common denominator of ugly shit to say. And to this point, I you know I don't I still think they don't have any gigantic outbreaks, especially like you know in comparison to you know many areas. In, in and to that, we should say, why did Europe catch the black plague? Well, I'm not certain about that either, but uh, we know how we got passed, but but how it's how it spread, how, how it got so large, is a little unclear. But we know it's spread. washing their hands. Oh yeah. Uh, and probably because they 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 were they they won they didn't live by that um that what's that old credo that cleanliness is close to godliness. Oh uh, yeah 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 yeah. So I don't know, man. Look, Fuck all I'm saying guys. is, you know, <laughs> people when when they can't 
figure out some that it seems like oftentimes right now we're going to all worse impulses and finding ugly shit to say. And sure. this is going to continue for a minute just because it doesn't seem people need to. Well, one thing I will say, like to keep calling scientists, like saying we shouldn't trust science. That is some crazy shit. But vaccines in general don't come very quickly in human history. Like there's never been one that's done quicker than three years ever. So I think we really need to be a little more honest with people. I mean, it's possible one of these trials works out quick, but I mean, still got to, you know, actually manufacture stuff and this and that. Until then, we still got to take care of each other and, you know, go from there. But uh, as you see, this movie can hate talk about all kinds of shit. It's a great movie. I recommend if you've made it, especially made it this far, you gotta you hopefully you've already watched it, but if you have not, you gotta watch it. Really great film. I watched it in the time we talked about it. Damn near. Yeah, it, it's it's worth your time and attention and and you know yeah, a quick movie. conversation. Yeah, well, and that's another thing. This movie doesn't bullshit. It gets to the point, it says what it has to say, and it's out. It's not like two, two hours, two and a half hours. You just sitting there like, God, why the fuck am I still here? It, right. it doesn't I'm watching so many movies lately and so many even short films and first time movies of people who just think that because they put a camera on something, it's interesting. And I so respect like this movie's, the way that this movie respects the audience's time. Right. And it's always interesting, is always a step ahead of you, is always thinking. Uh, it tricked me, man. I, I didn't think it was going where it went. Yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate what it, it, the perspective it helped provide really i like it more than hosts so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i still you know <laughs> i still think the movie has some positive it's just the biblical stuff allegories kind of you know went all over the place <laughs> but hey if y'all made it this far please 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 share this with a friend recommend this film too really good um but yeah please recommend the low-key podcast um to a friend rate review us all that goodness. Uh, and Keith, as always, if you would, please uh, let people know where they can find us on the social. Oh, yeah. You guys can follow us on Facebook and we also on Instagram at the Low Key Pod. Perfect. Tim, any any closing thoughts? Uh, check out my interview with the director of this movie. Oh, yeah. 100% week. do that. Uh, MovieMaker.com. It should be up shortly after this podcast post. Perfect. Cool. Well, I don't know how many more times I'm gonna have a journey like that, but uh, definitely um, enjoyed that and can't wait to see what the people behind this film, you know, behind the camera and in front of the camera uh, do next, because that was that was a pretty, pretty awesome journey. But until next week, we'll holler at y'all, have something else good for you.